Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sound of Mind podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Before we get started, there's just a couple of things I want to point out. I have Irish blood, so there may be some foul language. Second thing is I have ADHD, so there may well be tangents. I am thrilled to introduce... Can I call you a man? You can call me a man. Uh, not only is this man, child, a great friend of mine, <laughs> uh, he's an inspiration to anyone that works in the music industry, and he's taken some time out from building his incredible empire to talk to us about music. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please meet Atch. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. It's a really bright and sunny day in London. I'm looking forward to doing a whole lot of fuck all this weekend. So, yeah. There you go. And I beat you to the swear word there, didn't you did, I? You did indeed. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> We're not filming this because um, the humidity tends to do crazy things to my hair. So Your whole ensemble works, though, man. It really does. Yeah. You know, just let that hair be free. Thank you very much. I think we can end the podcast there, actually. <laughs> the 1% that doesn't know who you are. Like, 1%. talk about a little bit what you do. Who Gosh, you, are. you haven't heard of me. Of course you have. I uh, run a company that I founded in 2011 called Killing Moon. Killing Moon now encompasses uh, a label division, an artist management company. We operate about five or six different club nights in London. Uh, we're starting to promote our own tours. We recently announced our PR company. Uh, the blog's still going. I still get my journalistic kicks. I occasionally write for the Metro, not as much as I used to, but um, yeah, I do music bits and bobs and talk to people like you about it. Nobody likes a show off. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other for what, five or six yeah, years Yeah, coming up now. to that, yeah. There's, there's very few conversations that I have with people about music. Mm. Um, I was at Universal Music for three and a half years and you'd be surprised how little I knew about the people working around me, like what music they loved, right? What you know, why they got into what they got into. Do you think that a lot of people that work in the music industry actually love music or do you feel like a lot of people are just interested in the status that comes with working in the music industry? Uh, I have to say it's probably a mixture of both I don't want to it's, it's hard to say mate there are a lot of people that work in music and like in loads of different ways and I think primarily what underpins it I think you have to love it don't you I mean, you, you have yeah. to have some sort of affinity for what you consider to be a good song versus what you consider to not be a good song. But are people more drawn to the lifestyle? I think a lot of people in this line of work are drawn to the lifestyle because, you know, that's the appeal of working in it. Otherwise, it, it's, it's like no other creative industry or indeed any other industry that I know of. Like, you know, the remuneration sucks. So if you're not doing it for the love of the music, then you're going to be gutted, at least for like the initial stages and perhaps ongoingly as well. It's a very powerful driving mechanism. Mm. It motivates you. If you're like going into management or PR or running a label or putting on a show or whatever, I hope that answers the question. I don't oh, think yeah. I, I don't I'm, think everyone's on this... I'm just married to the lifestyle. I want to be one of the guest list kids. Like, I just want to, you know, because quite frankly, I've tried that and it gets really fucking boring after a yeah. while. It's all like, you kind of want to have something relevant to say and something interesting. And, you know, eventually along the way, you build up that confidence and realize that your opinion is as valid as the the biggest director of A&R that you've ever met. Like, because that's just another dude who has a lot of resources yeah. to amplify their opinion above yours. But, you know, your opinion at the very core as to what you determine as good music is, is entirely subjective and entirely up to the individual. One of your artists, Fizzy Blood, mm. 
They're mine. I own them. They belong to me. <laughs> they um, recently made a music video for a track called ADHD. They certainly did, yes. Which, understandably, got my attention. Oh, hello. The video for ADHD, and indeed the song itself, uh, I believe was penned by the guitarist of the band, Paul Howells. I have to say, like, the whole thing, inclusive of the video and giving some sort of visual representation of it. The video itself is a uh, shot in 360. Uh, I think it was nine different scenes for this uh, for this music video that were running simultaneously with each other and right slap bang in the middle or in, in cascading order in different frames you've got the band like you know p- playing a performance for the thing depending on who the uh, the watcher of the video is it is almost like testing their attention span in certain like aspects are you actually going to stay fixed on the band's live performance which i suppose is the cut and thrust of the whole thing or are you going to get distracted by that doggy that's crawling through your space? Or this scene of the guys having put some interesting substances on themselves and sort of like pretending to be slugs on the floor? Or there's a scene with Paul talking to a doctor in a hospital ward and stuff like that. I thought it was incredibly expressive of the condition called ADHD. And I'm sure like other issues similar in that sort of vein i i suppose we're touching upon like you know mental health issues you can talk about anxiety you can talk about depression as well but you know the way that these things manifest themselves bit like music is quite subjective to different people Mm. it means different things it appears in different ways but for uh, someone like me who i suppose after that i'm convinced that i don't have the condition i mean i'm someone who often self-diagnoses sort of like oh uh maybe i you know um sometimes i think i'm schizophrenic sometimes i you know uh feel that i i succumb to like you know manic depressive issues and stuff like that but you know having watched that thing it's like i know that i don't have that particular version of it because i'm solely interested in the band's performance piece then again i could be wrong you know but but it it did illuminate me in quite a big way in terms of like actually this is on one hand it's academically fucking interesting on the other hand, it's like, well, I, I didn't realize that that's what he goes through on a regular basis. And it must be quite terrifying at certain points. When we saw the response from, you know, the fans, a lot of people were able to relate to it. I mean, we and I saw the band getting into some meaningful dialogue of certain people that couldn't relate to it and actually fundamentally disagreed with the apparition. But the point was mm. that it opened the conversation. And to their credit, again, like the band were saying, well, I'm glad it it, it evokes some sort of response. And like, you know, let's talk about how your version of it works, that kind of thing. And then the fans are saying like, oh shit, you actually care. It's like, yeah, that's why we did it. (laughs) Well, it's not, I mean, it's, I'd rather have that discussion than, I mean, we've all seen that t-shirt, the ACDC logo with ADHD. And then underneath it says, hey, look, a squirrel, (laughs) which, which is such a, it's a common thing. People say, oh, I'm so ADHD at the moment or whatever. And yeah. it's like, there is a, a misconception. People often say to me, like, oh, pay attention, like focus, blah, blah, blah. As if to th- say that I'm just staring into space all the time. But it's almost like you're thinking of a hundred things all at once yeah. to the point that you're not thinking of anything. Yeah. Um, and so, and you have no control over that. So on a good day, I'm never short of ideas. Yeah. I, I can turn it on like that, you know, but it does become a problem when something's on my mind, maybe that isn't related, but it's like, I don't know if I should have worn this shirt today, you know, like, 
I really shouldn't have. You know, you'll be sitting in a meeting and someone will be talking to you about something that's really important, and you're just you're just you sitting cannot there. stop thinking about that shirt. Yeah, and you're like, I mean, it is a very nice shirt, so I have to say. Well, no, I don't mean this shirt. Man. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, this, different shirt, bad yeah, the, shirt. I, I burnt that shirt. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you you kind of have no control over it, and I think on on good days, as I say, it's a great thing because you can have this ability to hyper-focus. Yeah. So if you said to me, like, can you come back to me tomorrow morning with 10 ideas for the next Fizzy Blood video? Mm. I I would stay up all night and I would just literally just lose myself. Just do in nothing it, else. Not that. think about anything else. And I would, and it, and the results come from that. But at the same time, if you asked me to do that and I had things on my mind that were bothering me, then I wouldn't be able to do it at all. You I think know? it's so, just super important to find what works to you know it's obvious I, I don't think it's something that can be suppressed and no. and in the way that you're describing it it's actually quite a powerful motivator is you know if it's utilized in the right way you know that can actually be a powerful drive for somebody Absolutely. uh an artist that i've been uh managing for about three years and is doing very well for herself right now is um annabelle allen and i remember when i started working with her it wasn't so much a problem in the traditional sense, but she would she would play literally anywhere for anyone, like to do anything basically. While while I suppose like in a previous sort of like incarnation of Killing Moon that I would have gone very hard edged on that and become very controlling. Control is not necessarily the correct response in situations like that. It's like actually. I can't afford to destroy the amount of energy and enthusiasm that she's got. I uh, because what what we what are we going to do without mm, it? Yeah. So really, it's about you know that that's where time becomes like a very necessary ingredient in like this line of work that you've got to take the time to adjust to the person and let them. I don't want to say mistakes, but actually. Like, you know, mistakes are a very inherent part of learning. If we, if we don't fuck up, then how will we ever appreciate what a fuck up is? Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't like tread through life doing it that sort of way. So I think, you know, uh, channeling rather than control, I think mm. in those sort of situations is the thing that's usually warranted. It's encouraging to hear you say that you actually want to encourage people's strengths. Oh God, yeah. Not, you know, God, so. yeah. Like um, the artists, the staff, our business partners, we we run a workshop here. Well, I try to as frequently as possible. It depends when I'm actually around to do it. But, you know, I, I have to avoid a uh, a situation of a bottleneck here. I don't want to be like megalomaniac enough to like, you know, have to have to. It's, it's just knackering if like every fucking decision has to come via me. And like, you know, no one can actually take a dump without me like approving it about three weeks in advance. It's like, that's not the kind of company I want to run. I suppose it's in a marked difference to maybe what my work experience has been, where I have felt that, you know, it's all bottleneck through one person and everyone's trying to milk the teeth of that person at the same time. So, um, you know, just, so what I was saying is that just the other day, just yesterday, we ran a, a workshop to try and amplify people's soft skill sets, you know, how to nothing that I know or nothing that I uh, do as a day to day, like to as my livelihood can't be learned in a classroom and you always need to back that up with the practical hands-on experience the experience like going out there fucking up and then learning progressively how to fuck up less as you go along that's that's what makes you as a person that's what ferments your reputation that's what gives you a sense of work ethic it gives you a gauge of like what you care about and what you don't care about primarily derived through your treatment of other people this is a business of relationships 
So I, I felt it, you know, rather than like trying to, as I have done in the past, make the staff sit in this room and like I try and cram about seven years worth of legal experience into like an hour and expect them to know everything that I know about contracts and intellectual property. Uh, Sounds fascinating. It can be fun. It can be fun. (laughs) I I like that sort of stuff, but it's not for everybody. Um, Is, uh, you know, how to deal with other people, especially other people that you may not like that much that you may not personally sort of get on with but we need to know if we can work with them why because we're not such a self-righteous enterprise as we were before or perhaps i am becoming less self-righteous in that way and instead of you know being regarded as like you know the, the proverbial bull in the china shop and like you know strong arming my way and punching above my weight to get certain things perhaps i can use one of my biggest assets as a person and actually just reason with somebody else try to negotiate try and see eye to eye with them to get a result that we're both happy with or at least that we can live with that kind of thing rather than feeling like hard done by and staying up at night and thinking like shit i should have said that to that person because now they're going to get this this and this it's like fuck that do you want to be happy or do you want to be right and actually the two things can be mutually (laughs) exclusive at certain points that was very very sassy what you just did then by the way it's a shame we're not filming this because uh, (laughs) what was i doing just it was very much like "Mm -hmm." like going all donald trump on you with my hand gestures (laughs) and whatnot i'm trying not to do the uh the the, he loops the finger and the thumb in one way and it's like a using that emoji now yeah i can't use that emoji. yeah it's weird isn't it one of the things that i've always thought is everyone that works in music has got a reason for being here they've got a story to tell and often that comes from you know music that they listen to as a kid i know in my case it was discovering nirvana and oasis and all that yeah when i was young that sort of set me up for life almost pretty much yeah it i mean in the case of oasis certainly it shapes my hair my walk my clothes it begins to define you. So I think there is some sort of uh, almost clinical study into or or some method of analysis determining that the stuff that you listen to in your teenage years is likely to stay with you as just what you deem good Mm. in terms of like, you know, lifestyle or indeed like, you know, aesthetic or whatever, what you deem cool for the rest of your life. That almost begins to define you in terms of your personal tastes. But um, the, yeah, Nirvana were a gateway band. Um, actually, before that, it was a lot of. Um, actually, I got I got influenced by a lot of music from my parents. Same, um, same. Before I before I uh, became sort of like inclined to a particular scene or a particular genre or sound or whatever. Like from my dad's side, I definitely got a grasp on rock music. So it was like he was definitely more a Stones person than um, Beatles. Beatles was more my mum um he was also into he took me to my first gig even though he categorically denies it now he's getting on a bit um what is he ashamed of you or something (laughs) um he consistently (laughs) asked me where do i get this music stuff from and i'm trying to illustrate Mm. to him it comes from the first authority the first formative authority that we have in our lives which is basically our parents you know that's where we get our sense of moral compass our sense of right and wrong from because it's like you know that that's what they teach us or at least that's what they're supposed to teach us i guess but uh you know he he took me to my first gig which was what, what um, was that uh mark knopfler uh from dire straits oh, that's, dude, that's, uh, that's a cool gig man. was at the shepherd's bush empire on uh, i think i was eight at yeah the time. see dude man you win that one you know, my, <laughs> my first ever gig was go on okay admittedly 
I lived in Texas at the time. So I grew up there. I lived there for five years between the ages of This is going to be really so. good. Go on. Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> I would have been about nine or 10, I think. You've really just shown me up as, as a sync newbie when it comes to uh, country music. Yeah, but, you know, you, I lived in Texas, man. It's like I had a cowboy hat and, you know, everyone did. It, it wasn't, it, it was, it was sort of normal to like that must have gone really there. well with like your chosen hairstyle as well because you can never really be accused of having hat hair though. i i didn't have this haircut when i lived there man I, I, well this was in the 90s so i had the 90s hairstyles uh, and i went through all of them i went through the the undercut center part in curtains thing it's um, kind of like a modern thing it's like, that's uh, that's it, south well, london it, music right there that you're describing yeah but and then i had i i shaved my head once i used to do that a lot uh, um yeah, let's not talk about haircuts because that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's just going to depress me. All but right. it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned your parents, actually, because I remember um, Zane Lowe did a, a keynote at South By, was it this, last year or the year before? Um, and he said, like, most people that love music get it from their parents. He said, people that don't like music, chances are their parents are dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was, was like, absolute, it's like nail on the head because yeah. it's the same for me. I mean, my favorite album of all time is Dark Side of the Moon. And I was cool. actually played that before I was born. Yeah. That was my dad. It came, the idea came from my dad. I don't know where he got that idea from, <laughs> but he had this idea that, oh, we'll play music because it will, it will be beneficial. Right. And my mum's like, oh, okay. Well, Mozart, Beethoven. No. <laughs> Stick on Dark Side of the Moon every night. No, it's, it's incredible the difference sort of like subliminal uh influence that you pick up from them i mean um my dad it was rock music and some really gnarly indian folk music like you know this stuff doesn't really seem to have a structure as far as i'm concerned but it was like it was it was pretty far out uh and then on the on the maternal side of it definitely got a hold of pop music that way so it was like you know, only the best shit. Gloria Estefan, Cindy Lauper, Whitney Houston, that kind of thing. But Mum was also super into classical music as well, uh, and and still is. Actually, I um, we recently went on holiday to visit my brother in Austria. We're going to um, we're going to go check out the proms this year because they've, they've got some awesome stuff going on at like the uh, the Royal Albert Hall. It's actually stuff I more or less exclusively listen to classic FM while I'm driving. Because you're an Uber driver, like in the spare time. <laughs> oh no, so that, sorry, that, that's that's Magic FM, isn't it? That's mad. Magic FM. I've got a lot of time. Have you, for. Have, have you ever got into an Uber? Other taxi companies are available, by the way. Um, have you ever got into an Uber and him not uh, the driver not playing Magic FM? I mean, it, I I kind of want it now. I expect it every time I get an Uber. I'm like, he's like, do you want to play your own music? I'm like. No, 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 just no, crank no. on magic mate no i mean like that that's perfect going home time music and especially after i'm a little bit lit and somebody else is driving then i'll probably crank on something like magic or heart's a good one as well yeah. uh but no classic fm um i listen to that because it's so completely far removed from the stuff that i deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and it's a reminder to me that I still can appreciate music without really understanding a great deal of it. That I can just listen to something aesthetically. It doesn't have to be a song that I know. Uh, it's, yeah, it's great. Like, do you, do you find then stuff. classical music's kind of like the the music you kind of listen to to switch off from from everything else and and you know i think so yeah i mean there's there's it's you end up realizing if you explore like um 
you navigate through like classic mu- classical music in general, how prevalent it is in pop culture a lot of the time. Like uh, most films that you've been to yeah. see or that you hold dear to your heart are soundtracked by what is now known as modern classical music. John Williams, um, Hans Zimmer, and absolutely. Morricone. I mean, for me yeah. personally, because I I am still you know banging into my punk rock and emo and metal and stuff like that. Um, I'm into a lot of the dark shit like Wagner and stuff like that. You know, really biblically. You know, you can probably imagine the devil getting off on this like sort of stuff. So. Um, it is a lot of escapism for mm. me. And I, that, I think that's why I probably will never deal with it professionally because it's like actually I'm 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 going to keep that on its pedestal. Actually, quite that that bit's just for me. That kind of thing. I'm going to recommend something to Stop. you, but also to anyone listening. One of the things I love doing if you're walking somewhere and you're going to have a really important meeting, or you're walking somewhere and you're about to have a really difficult conversation or whatever it is, something that you're going somewhere that you're, you're kind of anxious about, whatever it is. I always listen to Ennio Morricone. Ooh. And I literally pretend that I'm in a Western and I'm walking and I've got a score to settle and stuff. Uh-huh. And I do this all the time. And it- You're into football, I'm assuming, still. Oh, Before the game starts and you see the players loading in uh, on the coach and whatnot, and you notice they're walking through the dugouts and everything like that, and they're all on their headphones. And in part, yes, they're doing that for their endorsement purposes, but they are doing it to block the rest of the fucking world out. They're doing it. It's why singers and performers on a stage... When they're closing their eyes, they're not doing it to look cool. They're they're taking themselves away. They're, they're, that's how they deal with it. I kind of like love that application of mm. like music being that escapism to take you away to where you feel the most comfortable a lot of the time. Yeah. I think that's really important. Do you find it can go the other way? Do you find music can sometimes bring you back towards a certain place? So, for example, if you're if you're angry, can you listen to a certain type of music and then it actually <laughs> brings you back to life? So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've recently started going to the gym, which uh, again, without disclosing my age, is something that I probably should have done a long time ago. And um, I more or less exclusively listen to metal, like, you know, really aggressive kind of metal. And uh, I actually listen to that same sort of stuff when I'm sitting in the office and I'm trying to concentrate. For for me, that kind of like you know that 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 genre, that kind of sensibility is where I get my sense of competitiveness from. Mm. So like when I, when I'm at the gym, it's me versus myself a lot of the time, and I'm trying to you know almost kick the shit out of like you know the the old me that I am trying to evolve away from being uh you know that pursuit of happiness and and whatnot but like also at work it's like it's it's absolutely bizarre because that sort of music is supposed to distract the shit out of you but for some reason i find myself far more efficient and far more concentrated in a similar way to like you know perhaps like that football player is and getting myself psyched up for something when i'm listening to something that you know instills a sense of drive in me but you know, there are other areas of it. Yeah, I listen to sad music if I want to feel sadder. Like there are certain yeah. songs that actually I find very difficult to listen to because it reminds me of a very difficult time that I was going through. Is there any, any examples, any songs that you, you can think of? Um, it's on Foo Fighters' first album, which is uh, uh, self-titled, I believe. Uh, last track called Exhausted. Mm. It does remind me of um, quite literally being exhausted. The drag of like the guitar and like... 
you know, uh, that that was at a point where Dave Grohl's vocals were very much sitting in the track and it's almost like, um, yeah, it, it's, it represents like an inability for me to see outside of something at that point. So I find it very difficult to listen to. There is a band that I worked with uh, and at this point in time, I'm hoping to work with again. Uh, hopefully I should have news about that soon called Worship. Um, and it was the second single that I ever put out called House of Glass. Uh, I was going through a rather diminishing sort of relationship at the time and I felt that, that song rather accurately summed up what the issues were that you know um it was a classic case of codependency and like neither of us could seem to come unstuck or really express ourselves to the other person so it was almost like a house of glass mm. that we were living in um but but actually as far as like worship is concerned they have a track called uh something more uh the lyricism is is quite poignant the the opening line is uh, I carved a smile into my face so long ago I can't feel the ache and I feel that actually has applied to my situation in a very personal way that like I've often been accused of not being myself I suppose that offsets itself against of actually knowing who what oneself actually is first in order to be oneself yeah. but uh, I do remember like, you know, that that mentality of thinking that I can derive happiness purely by being what I thought everyone wanted to be. And that's just an unattainable goal. That's just impractical. It's the thing that ultimately ends up tearing you apart. So like that song has particular emotional relevance for me. Another example is uh, Death Toes, Be Quiet and Drive. I don't care where, just far, just like just get in something. Sometimes I act on that impulse, literally, if I am... Um, not feeling great if i'm feeling anxious and i need to feel like some sort of degree of liberation of something i suddenly have to pinch myself and remember that i do own a car and i just jump in that car pick any fucking direction and just start driving it has led me to some interesting places like uh, there's a particular uh, indoor water park in pool that i ended up at <laughs> about two years ago i had a great fucking day it was amazing, um, but I, I, did, I remember I, I did something similar. Actually, I think it was like the first the first time I when I passed my test and stuff. The first time I went driving on my own, I used to just love driving. And I remember once I I was living sort of near Milton Keynes at the time, so I was kind of right near the M1. And I remember once I thought, I'm just going to go for a drive, and I just kind of got on the M1, then I got on the M6, and I essentially I think I got to Manchester before I kind of even realized where I was <laughs> yeah because I was just listening to music and just driving and it's quite late at night as well so like motorway driving at night is yeah. amazing and then I got up to I sort of got near Manchester and then I was like oh okay I better turn around I got home at like seven in the morning uh -huh. and there is something about driving and listening to music I think do you find that music sounds different when you're driving because I've always I, I absolutely that. I think that's that's I'm one of the few people I know of that still owns these two things a cd player in my car and also a cd burner on my computer because that's the what you've spot on described there is like that's the concentration element like i'm not distracted by anything else i mean i should be concerned about like the road and like where i'm driving and how fast i'm driving but really you do enter this rather autonomic kind of state mm. where your receptiveness to what's being said and how it's being said and what's being played is a bit sharper than when you're amongst distractions. Yeah. So I find it a lot easier to focus and, you know, um, I find it a lot easier to make decisions in that kind of way. It's sort of like, you know what, if this is going to draw me in, 
it's it's got the best possible conditions to do so right now. In this day and age, when people listen to music, more often than not, they're also scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or they're reading their emails or whatever it is. Music's almost, it's more background noise now than it ever has been. Do you find that people connect to music in the same way as, say, we did when we were kids? Yeah. Yeah, I do. As we're sort of like describing the driving scenario, we're creating a soundtrack to our our concentration zone, our sense of escapism, that kind of thing. Um, and I think by the same sort of measure, a lot of people are trying to soundtrack other aspects of their lives. That's why mm. those mood playlists or even activity playlists are so damn popular. True. It's just yeah. that not everyone wants to be a tastemaker, but I think a lot of people want their taste made for them yeah. or at least suggested to them. It's sort of like you might like this. And it's really, you know, even in the commercial space, that's what's driving everything it's right true. now. Yeah. yeah. You've spoken a lot in the past about mental health, like publicly within yeah. the music industry. What made you kind of want to start? Um, I've spoken on a few panels. I suppose probably the most profound thing that I've done, and it, it, this was slightly terrifying for me, there's a wonderful organization called Meritocracy, and it required me to go to dinner, uh, sit at the head of the table with about 40 people that I do not know, and explain to them how I manage my mental health issues. Why do I want to want to talk about it? I more feel the need to talk about it. Um, I suppose I have to acknowledge that the the burning nature of the topic is becoming more and more profound as we open the conversation a bit further. Why do I want to talk about it? Because I've seen what it's done to me in the past what it may do to me in the future and what it's done to other people around me that I care very deeply about. So ignoring the problem ain't going to make it go away. And I suppose it's a bit more of an imperative in this day and age. And I don't know it's because we've actually acknowledged that it is a problem and that it exists. Mm. You know, we used to deal with this sort of stuff like, oh, just have your toss of rum, like that kind of stuff. And now it's like in this country, we are quite literally killing ourselves over a look here we have to educate ourselves and how to detect this sort of stuff because however people want to identify themselves, whether by way of gender or indeed identity, but like, you know, boiling it down to, for the purposes of this men and women, it's affecting both in a rather significant way. Uh, I suppose as far as men are concerned, the statistics are extremely concerning that, Mm, you know, uh, I am more likely as a male to top myself than I am to be run over in the street and you know a lot of fucking people get run over on a regular basis it's quite alarming that sort of state of affairs and i believe it's actually avoidable absolutely i believe it's completely preventable if we actually value the extents of the condition and actually acknowledge that you know you don't have to be a stereotypical male you don't have to deny these emotions that you actually feel and and likewise you know as far as like being a woman is concerned i'm obviously not one I have been described as one in the past and I fail to see how that's actually an insult. But, you know, um, how to, you know, not act in the way that you're stereotypically supposed to act in that, you know, if we are in the the Western Hemisphere actually hell-bent on celebrating individuality, when the fuck are people allowed to actually be individuals? Yeah. You know, is it something that you touched upon before, the sort of like the subscription to the idea that we're supposed to be normal? I don't even know what normal is. Like that's just a made up word that somebody came up with to make people act in a particular way that probably him 
that he wanted them to act in. And they will come up with all kinds of narratives to try and justify that. Like, I'm about to go off on a bit of a rant, but it's sort of like, you know, this is where the concepts of a God comes from. Yeah, you I, was know. Just about to say, I was just about to say religion, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's sort yeah, of like, it's... you know, and that's like, you know, it's a cool story, but like, you know, since when were these rules? I didn't fucking sign up to them. It's like, I haven't even met the dude who wrote this shit. <laughs> so it's like, you know, how do I know yeah. that it's like that yeah. heroes and the authenticity of the whole thing? So do you think in the music industry in particular, that there is that element of it'll be all right, go down the pub, come on, don't be stupid, don't you know, man th- up, all I, that sort of thing. I think it explains the high incidence of uh, addiction um, and addiction can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Addiction is designed to allow the individual to cope with something, I think at least in this context. Or you can go the other side of it, you can become teetotal. It's always as if you don't trust yourself in this sort of like environment, that kind of thing. And therefore, should you even be in it in the first place? It can go a couple of ways, but those two incidences I have noticed is rather prevalent in the individuals that populate this industry. Yeah, yeah and I, I can certainly testify to that. I mean, ADHD, it comes with having an addictive personality anyway. Sure. The amount of times that I will feel like I'm not normal and feel bad about that, rather than embrace it, I kind of feel like, okay, I have to be like everyone else. And that explains situations like South by Southwest a couple of years ago. Um, you ran away, didn't you? I don't think I can apologize enough for <laughs> don't that. Apolog- I was fucking worried about you. <laughs> I was really, it's like, uh, but for those who don't know, <laughs> uh, myself and Matty were sharing a hotel bed together. It got a little bit kinky. No, it didn't get a little bit kinky. We trust each other. We, uh, we're comfortable with each other in that sort of way. But one night, Matty did not come home. And then there was a bit of an incident at South By at a venue called Mohawks involving a vehicle that I pulled off the freeway and uh, piled into a shitload of people. And, you know, me waking up, Matty not being by my side and uh, feeling that, oh dear, something's gone terribly wrong because Matty's not here and this thing took place last night. So uh, the other person that we were sharing the room with was quite observant about how I was allegedly overreacting. But like, I, I, you don't have to apologize to me, man. I'm just glad that you're all right. And it was kind of yeah. funny afterwards that you just rather yeah. sheepishly walked in. It's like, yeah. where the fuck have you been all night? Well, well, what was funny was I didn't even know what had happened downtown. Everyone's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, oh, fuck, what's happened? And I kind of found out about it. And then I went on Twitter and stuff. And I'd seen that you'd been tweeting about it. Shell, she was tweeting about it. Uh, loads of people then kind of started to get worried. Enjoy because, the dots there, yeah. <laughs> because I think Shell actually said something like, he's not tweeted for two hours. That's not like that's, him. That's very unusual. And yes. that made you panic and everyone was panicking and stuff. And then I remember, I Oh think, dude, we were calling up like hospital <laughs> A&E departments and going like, have you seen a mod <laughs> about yay high? <laughs> Loves his oasis and Nirvana. Yeah. Probably wearing an Arsenal shirt, something like that. Oh no, I don't do sports. Wear, man. <laughs> sort of got to the point where I was, I felt like, I don't even know what to say now because it's just like, <laughs> it's like hi. And that's what I, I that's all, Yeah. That's what I think in the end that's all i could do is i just had to kind of come back into the i think i texted you and said hey man i'm fine sorry i was i was at a party or something um all right <laughs> uh just felt really awkward about it uh, but there was I, I must be honest there was this idea that i had where i was like how long can i keep this going for oh i was tempted because it was a little life. bit like witnessing your own funeral you're a bit like wow these obituaries are amazing yeah, you know I what i mean suppose, yeah how, 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 how little we knew him but that probably came from me being at south by southwest not feeling very comfortable with all the networking because 
I'm not, you know, the greatest at conversing no, I, with people. I, I find it incredibly anxiety-inducing a lot of the time, those uh, conference-facing mm. sort of events. Like, um, uh, actually, Great Escape is the one for me that I find it's the most difficult because it's like, I can't even... <sighs> I don't want to seem ungrateful for it because actually, you know, I, I love bumping into people and I love catching up with them, that kind of stuff. It's just that if I end up having the same fucking conversations about 30 times in about five minutes and I'm just trying to get to the goddamn venue, it's not like, please don't not say hi to me. But I guess, you know, we can kind of park it at sort of like a head nod or say like, yeah. hey man, that kind of thing. We don't have to go through the formality of like, you know, the, five, the, the, the classic questions. When did you get here? Where are you staying? Who have you seen? When are you heading back to London? Yeah. And then ending up on that crucial fifth point where you say, oh, we simply must catch up back in London. It's like, I thought we just fucking did. But, <laughs> you know, I don't want to seem, yeah. seem ungrateful for that stuff. But like, you know, let's not, you know, exacerbate the issue by standing on ceremony here. It's like, you know, yeah, it's great to see people. I always struggle with the, you go to an event in the daytime. Oh, it's free beer. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then there's another event 20 minutes later next door, free beer there. That, that's you know. the, you know, and it, it, I think you just got to remember at all times that, you know, alcohol, no matter how much of a heavyweight you think you are, it does get the best of us eventually. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, more, more open than that, like, you know, I have, I have a bit of an issue of like going into like, you know, the Queen's Hotel at a certain time, you know, because it's like, I feel very on display. I feel compelled to act in a certain way. And all I want to do is really just get some fucking sleep. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't just say that at the time. I'm, I guess I was worried about what people would think of me. Is there a lot more that can be done or needs to be done within, within the music industry to support people, whether it be artists or interns or anyone in between? I th we, we try and impart it here. And again, uh, similar to like the ADHD thing, it mean it manifests itself in different ways to different people. I'm personally taking more and more guidance as the best practice in terms of being an employer as to where the line should be drawn. Like for example, there is certain personal information I'm sure with like a bunch of different people that I deal with that it's actually not appropriate given my position in relation to them for me to feel that I have the right to know. Although I do have a, I, I generally try to catch up with the staff members one-on-one -on -one whenever I can. If I feel that there is some sort of problem, I'll, um, behind closed doors and in confidence, I'll talk to them about that. I also confide in them. I do appreciate that trust is a two-way street and I have to earn theirs as much as they have to earn mine and maintain that trust. And um, actually, it makes us a better, a better unit in terms of um, being a company, like because we're communicating better and we do end up trusting each other a bit more. So um, basically, it's just by having a very open door policy, or if I feel the situation calls for it, I will open that door myself and say, do you want to have a chat and a cup of tea? And like, you know, um, we, we try to have staff meetings more often than not. And I will round off those meetings by asking how morale is, how people are feeling. Do they feel that I should be more available? What else could I be doing to support them? Because obviously prior to getting to that point, I've spent about an hour telling them how they can better support me. That yeah. kind of thing. Before we end, I just wanted to touch on Avicii. Unfortunately, very unfortunately, I don't think anyone's a stranger to the tragedy of a popular musician passing away before their time or taking their own life. And it's only happening more and more frequently. Unless I'm mistaken, and I may well be, uh, that this is probably the first time that it subsisted in a rather in probably the world's biggest music market, which is dance music. 
Um, So, you know, while you think that those guys are are standing on stage having a ball, doing fuck all and pressing buttons, it's that's not obviously not the case. They may want to make it look as if like, you know, it's a DOS, that kind of thing. But it's 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 not actually that straightforward until you, you don't knock it until you try it, really. I'll be very blunt on this point. The industry killed him. Um, I really feel that those environments and those conditions and what what makes the whole thing a lot more tragic, uh, I can't believe the sheer coincidence of the two to the point that I don't even feel that it is a coincidence mm. that, you know, that there was a documentary made yeah, about him, you know, and there is detailed footage. It's actually heartbreaking to see it. You sort of like start thinking, yes, it's going to be avoided. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone in particular. That's why I'm going to say that the industry killed him. Yeah. By far and away, the biggest issue there was maintenance of mental health yeah. and having the appropriate mechanisms to say when enough is enough, not just as far as artists are concerned. A lot of people I'm very close with suffer from mental health issues and, 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 and obviously work in music. And it's sort of like, you know, as a manager, how on a rope do you feel at the beck and call of somebody? Do you feel it's sort of like, it's fucking tragic Absolutely. with Avicii because I feel it could have been avoided. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, but, but, you know, I, I feel that like, it's almost, you won't hear about the managers who take their own lives because they feel that they're not good enough. That they can't handle the pressure of their position. You don't hear about people who work at labels doing that because, and I, I'm trying to choose this word with extreme care and I hope it's taken in the way that I intend it, but because it's not fashionable enough to talk about that um, in, in the business vernacular, when I'm talking to like trade bodies and whatnot about how, um, how we now need to invest in further clinical research dealing with prevention rather than the symptoms of the whole thing, or, you know, or at least like channeling and maintenance and well-being, all of that sort of stuff. The reason we need to invest into it is because we're now losing business as a result of it. How many people will now not have jobs because he's not alive anymore? How many shows will now not happen? Manifestly, they weren't supposed to happen in the first place. How many songs will now not get released to inspire the next generation of Avicii's to happen. And that is the case with Chester Bennington. Uh, It was the case with Chris Cornell. And pretty much fucking everyone else has ended up in like I mean, the same go, boat. You could go back, you know, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain. We could sit here all day and list and list. You know, and, and it sounds so brutal to say it. But, you know, as an industry, we have to look at like the artist community. And it's like, really? Are they that good to us dead? Mm. Really? Yeah. I like, mean, you know, they're not, quite frankly. No, like, <laughs> I really feel for the people that I know that knew Tim personally. Sure. Because yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not only are they naturally going to be distraught, you know, to now feel that they've got that burden and they've got the guilt to go with it. At the end of the day, you know, they brought his music to more people and it reached more people. There was a systemic breakdown in a lot of different ways yeah. there that resulted in a young man taking his life. Rather than trying to go about it in a vindictive kind of way and trying to point the blame at anyone, we just really, really need to learn about what the fuck has gone wrong. We really, rather than say it's your fault and vilify someone and you're the reason that that happened, it's like, what could we have all done differently? Yeah. To, to make that not even an issue in like the first place, that kind of thing. What mechanisms are there? And it's, it's something. 
that I have said to a number of artists that I manage in particular, usually when they're on the verge of signing a, a big deal. And like, you know, a lot of the artists that we work with are doing just that at the moment. You've put me in this position as a fiduciary, as your manager, that I'm supposed mm-hmm. to have a duty of care towards you. If I get an inkling that you're not all right, and I'm not convinced that you're going to be all right... I don't care if you're like, you know, presenting the MTV Awards. Like you can be on due to receive a Brit Award or something like that. If I don't think that you can actually handle it, I'm fucking pulling you out of there. Yeah. Why? Because I have to like revert back to that horrible blunt statement of you are no good to me dead. And it's, I it's need a, to keep you alive. It's such, a, it's such a shocking statement, but you're absolutely right. It's it, it's so true. And I think, what would you say to someone that might be listening to this, that's thinking maybe they've got issues and they've not spoken about it because they're worried about what the reaction will be? or Who can they reach out to? If you've got someone that you can trust, that you trust with your life, speak to them. Your family, if you're lucky enough to have one, uh, or a circle of friends or a close colleague or someone that you trust implicitly. If unfortunately you do not have access to any of those people or facilities, uh, there are a number of different people that you can contact. If it's in music, I definitely recommend uh, checking out Help Musicians and All Music Supports. They're both very, very good people. I love the assembly of the people that they have who can basically relate to just about any issue that may seem trivial to somebody else or a great deal of other organizations the samaritans is a very good option to look up if you don't have somebody that you trust implicitly then talk to someone that perhaps doesn't know you at all and then cannot run the risk of judging you for what you're about to say that's really really good advice i've always been very vocal because it's made me feel better even though it might be awkward when someone knows what you're going through it just makes you feel a lot better and you don't feel alone And even if someone doesn't react the way you want them to, just getting stuff off your chest makes such a difference in a really simplistic level. So I don't want you to think about it. I just want you to answer as quickly as possible. Oh, shit. Right. Guilty pleasure. Uh, Since you've been gone, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson? Yeah. It's a fucking tune. Wow. Since you've been gone. But the thing is, I'm not sure if it's a guilty pleasure. I'm just getting pleasure out of it and no guilt. Steady on now. Let's keep it clean. (laughs) You've done so well so far. I don't think there's anything else to say after that bombshell, but uh, yeah, dude, thank you very much for your time. No worries, man. Thank you. Much love. Cheers.